वेलकम बैक टू अनदर एपिसोड ऑफ पीपल्स स्टोरीज आई एम योर होस्ट प्रियंका ओझा थैंक यू सो मच फॉर जॉइनिंग अस आई होप यू हैव फाइनली लिसनिंग टू द सेशन एज वेल एज प्रॉबेबली गेट टू नो समथिंग मोर अबाउट दिस पर्टिकुलर प्रोफेशन सो येट अगेन थैंक यू सो मच फॉर जॉइनिंग स्टे ट्यून एंड हैव फन Hey there dreamers innovators and fellow seekers of inspiration get ready to embark on an extraordinary adventure as we unveil the captivating story of one man who defied all odds and ignited a fire that continues to burn bright in the world of entrepreneurship in this episode of people's stories we bring to you the awe inspiring tale of kamal d shah a true trailblazer who followed his heart and turned his passion into a game changing venture now let's get one thing straight kamal isn't your run of the mill business tycoon crunching number and chasing profits kind of guy he's a force to be reckoned with driven by a burning desire to make a genuine difference in the lives of others picture this kamal a dialysis patient himself faced the same challenges and limitations that many others in his position did but instead of succumbing to despair he harnessed his inner fire and transformed his struggles into an opportunity for innovation teaming up with his partner the business savvy vikram vupala kamal revolutionized the healthcare landscape in india and here's the kicker while vikram handled the business side of things kamal focused on what truly set his soul on fire the patient experience It wasn't about stacks of cash or flashy titles for him. Oh no. It was a sheer satisfaction of witnessing his fellow dialysis patients light up with hope and happiness that kept him going. But here's the mind-blowing truth my friends. Kamal's story isn't just about his own triumph. It's about finding your true passion, embracing it with unwavering dedication and having the audacity to dream. big so whether you are an aspiring entrepreneur itching to launch your own venture someone longing to chase your deepest passions or simply in need of an electrifying dose of motivation this episode is for you let's embark on this epic adventure together and unleash the power of passion within us ready let's dive in and change the world one dream at a time Super thrilled and excited to have you, Kamal. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks so much, Priyanka. Thanks for having me. I'm also excited to be here. This is one of the first times I'm doing something like this. So, oh, very okay. Excited. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it as well. And so, for our for our listeners who are listening to this episode, uh, Kamal is is the co-founder of one of the India's largest dialysis networks, which is called Nephro Plus, and um, I'm. It's my privilege to to be able to you know speak to you and kind of pick your brains on certain aspects of entrepreneurship or let's say your own journey specifically on you know how you kind of pivoted from getting into engineering to starting your own business. So before we get into like the like the details of what happened exactly and you know what your uh, shining armor was, let's let's get a brief overview from you so if you have to introduce yourself in let's say a minute how would you introduce you yeah so thanks for your call 
I think I would say that um, I am the co-founder of Nephroplus Dialysis Centers, which is uh, India's largest dialysis service provider. And I'm a dialysis patient myself. And uh, along with Vikram Gopala, I started this company. And the primary motivation was to change the way dialysis is done in India and beyond. You know? And I think that is primarily the purpose of why we started this company. And that is the topic that gets me hugely excited as well, because I believe there's so much that can be done in this area and it's a very underserved area. So uh, like, you know, I'm sure all of you are aware that uh, people in India, especially in much of the developing world, uh, they believe that they cannot lead normal lives on dialysis and that's not the truth. And I strongly believe that people on dialysis can lead normal lives and that is why we set up this company. So I, I would say that, you know, that is uh, who I am and I'm, what we are trying to do in that. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, uh, of course, we'll talk about like, you know, how the industry looks like and what are the challenges or problems that you see, particularly in the healthcare sector. But before we get into that, so I just want you to kind of go back like a few years and look at yourself as a kid when you were growing up, you know. And do you see that Kamal as being an entrepreneur and, you know, like having his own company? Or how was that Kamal, like, let's say, when he was, I don't know, like 10 or 12 years old. Yeah, so I think when I was a kid, uh, I would have probably not seen myself as an entrepreneur because while uh, I come from a, a Guju family and every single individual in my family before my generation has been in business. So despite that, I was very clear that, you know, I would get into something like uh, software engineering or you know, uh, uh, a job doing software development. And I was very excited about software and, you know, the IT field. A uh, little later, of course, not when I was 10, right? But when I got into engineering college and, you know, uh, at that point. So, but I, I I would probably not have seen myself as an entrepreneur, but definitely not a healthcare entrepreneur. Sure. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So why, why was this aversion there? Like you said that you did not want, like did not see yourself as an entrepreneur, however your family members were. So was there any yeah. reason behind it? Or? Yeah, so my family was into film distribution. That was not a, an area that excited me at all. And, you know, so I was more of the, the engineering kind of a guy who loved technology and wanted to do something, you know, uh, mind-blowing technology and, you know, automation and that kind of stuff. So that was what used to excite me in my childhood, you know. So, yeah, probably something on those lines. And uh, technology was, was one thing. And then I also liked uh, language, that is writing. And I also had a fascination for Indian history. So these are the three things that kind of excited me. Very kind of eclectic mix of subjects. But, yeah, those were the things that kind of interested me. and. Uh, nothing related to what my family business was or, you know, what they were doing. Okay, okay. And so, like, now coming back to today's time, like, when you are an entrepreneur and a successful one, I would say, uh, do you kind of tie yourself back to, let's say, your family background or the qualities that are needed as a entrepreneur? Like, can you drive any kind of, um, let's say, inspiration from there? Or it's all, for example, the cause because of which you have Nephroplus or because of the people who you surround yourself with over here? Like, what's your driving, uh, let's say, factor? 
Yeah, it's definitely not uh, my the family's business scale because I had zero business stint. And you know, for those who know how we operate at Nefaplus, they know that I have like just zero uh, business skills. And Vikram, who's the founder and CEO of Nefaplus, he's the one who looks after the complete, you know, the entire financial, the business, that part of it. He handles. I just handle the clinical, the patient factor, the patient care. You know that part of it I handle. So uh, what we are doing at Defocus today, what I'm doing at Defocus today is definitely not driven by you know my DNA. It's more of the passion that I have just for the cause, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's let's get into that story now. So um, I, I already mentioned the beginning that you were starting. You were beginning to kind of trace your path in the engineering space, which you also mentioned. But then eventually you had to start Nephroplast. So. What's the story there? Like, if you could quickly, uh, you know, like summarize the whole picture. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just completed my chemical engineering from Osmani University. Had, like most of my peers, uh, I got admission into a university in the US for my masters. Got my visa as well. And uh, before going to the US, I needed to take vaccinations, which was a prerequisite, you know, for foreign travel at that point. So. My friends and I, we just went to a place here that takes the vaccine, the government uh, department, the Mr. Vaccine. So I took these vaccines and then, you know, that evening I had symptoms of nausea, vomiting and so on. And within a few days, they weren't outside. So we went to meet a family physician and then he physicianed some tests uh, and then it was, you know, discovered that my kidneys had failed and uh, I had a disease called hemolytic urinary syndrome, which is a very rare disease. And Later, we got to know that it was triggered by the vaccinations, but nothing wrong with the vaccines per se. But I have a genetic mutation in my body that kind of predisposes me to this disease in the you know, presence of a trigger like vaccinations. So I, I was put on dialysis immediately and then I got a kidney transplant. Tried, that didn't work because there was a recurrence of the primary disease. And then, uh, you know, I was tried peritoneal dialysis for some time and then. Uh, you know, I was caught in the tsunami in December 2004 because of which the catheter of peritoneal dialysis got infected and then I had to give up peritoneal dialysis. And then I switched to, you know, daily nocturnal home hemodialysis, which gave me a very good quality of life. And, you know, I, at that point I was doing software development. I had joined a software development company and uh, I then later I started my own software development company and then uh, we sold that off and then I started working and then suddenly I got an email from Vikram Bupala, whom I, I didn't know until then. And uh, so I, I started writing a blog as well at that point. And Vikram was searching for, you know, uh, information about dialysis in India. And my blog would come up number one if you would search for dialysis in India on Google. So he stumbled upon my blog and then, in, like what he read, was intrigued by what he read. And then we both should get together and do something in dialysis. You know? And so we met up the next morning and then the whole idea for Nephroplus started taking shape. So okay. that is how, yeah. <laughs> I mean, so there are many things that I want to talk about. Uh, the the first thing is that I know that like now, it has been what, more than 15, 20 years that, uh, from that incident or? Well, that's 26 years. 26 years. So I mean, yeah. like, Right now, it might be much more easier for you to talk about it because obviously you've you've gone through thick and th thin, right? But 
yeah at that time like when you were in that process because obviously you have like different dreams and you're looking for like you know a different future for yourself and suddenly everything changes like can you can you like paint a picture of what your psyche was at that time like how did you come out of that whole thing so um, you know at that point initially when the diagnosis happened i was always told by my doctor that this is a temporary thing right that this is this is what lasts a few days they said a week and you know every few days you know, i'd ask them that what's happening they would say just another week just another week so it was not as if the diagnosis was you know dropped like a bombshell and then you know it kind of devastated me it was always hope that the doctors gave me that this is something that is temporary the kidneys have shut down suddenly and they just as suddenly they will recover uh, by themselves you know and while we get supportive therapy but few months down the line i kind of realized that you know this is not going to come back and then you know i we tried a host of alternate therapies so every time i would get my hopes up but you know things wouldn't work and then it was very disturbing when we had to you know we finally had to say that okay this is something that i'm going to have to live with which happened you know maybe about four five or five six months after the initial diagnosis so in that respect it was not like a sudden shock that came you know it was more of a gradual thing slowly coming to terms with the reality that this is something more long term hmm hmm and so like what so basically acceptance of the fact was something that kind of helped you in coming out of that situation right right acceptance and more of you know uh, planning what what lies ahead like figuring out what to do because i was not one to just give up and you know accept whatever the doctors say but i was more kind of trying to you know research on the internet what the popular internet was very new so i was you know uh, i was sent up trying to figure out by my own uh, research on the internet that you know what what is happening what are the options and what can i do how can i take more control of my health and so on so it was that uh, thing that kind of probably helped me to you know uh, stay sane and not get depressed and so on yeah mm, okay let's get into into the into the work that you are doing right now and let's begin yeah. directly with the challenges that you see because for for the for our listeners who are not aware of what exactly dialysis is and you know what are we talking about how will you how will you explain in super layman terms of you know what dialysis is and what challenges do you see in this area yeah so um dialysis is uh, a replacement for kidney function right and every human every adult human I mean, every human being, uh, every human being has two kidneys, and the kidneys are the size of a fist, a closed fist, you know, and they are there in the uh, back of the body, and uh, the kidneys basically they filter out uh, excess toxins and water from the body, from the blood. So blood passes through the kidney and filters out the excess fluid and the excess toxins. So toxins could be like a, a very wide range of toxins. So <clears throat> and the kidneys receive filter out the blood of these toxins and water and produce urine that you know humans excrete out now when kidneys don't function as well as they should this process is not does not happen right so the kidneys don't filter out that blood which results in an accumulation of fluid and toxins within the blood which can be very harmful to the body over a period of time so 
what dialysis is is basically we use an artificial kidney like it's a cylindrical uh, tube cylindrical kind of device that is made out of various types of plastic and it has very thin hollow fibers within it so blood passes through these hollow fibers and there is uh, a solution that is passed around those fibers which causes a concentration gradient of the toxins and the fluid also gets removed so the toxins and the fluid gets removed in this artificial kidney which we call a dialyzer <coughs> so dialysis is basically removal of these excess toxins and fluid from the blood using an artificial kidney called a dialyzer you know very very simple terms this is what happens now ideally the human body the human kidneys are working 24 hours Days, 7 days a week, 65 days a year, right? There is no break. So, continuously, this blood is being filtered. So, when you do dialysis, obviously, it is not practical for you to be connected to an artificial uh, kidney machine 24-7, right? So, typically, they say that, you know, the more dialysis you do, the better it is because you're approaching that ideally 24-7. But, but, what happens typically is people are not comfortable you know for long durations on dialysis so what they would do is they just most people uh, around the world undergo only twice a week four hours each time so they go to the center dialysis center connect to a machine and for four hours this blood is steamed you know and then they go back once the this four hours is done now there are small variations. Some people do five hours twice a week. Some people do five hours twice a week. Some people do two hours every day. So various modalities are there, which you know give better or worse efficiency depending on the number of hours on dialysis per week. But in a nutshell, dialysis is basically removing the excess fluid and the toxins from the blood, which healthy kidneys would otherwise get. Hmm. Okay. And so, um, I mean, of course, like. Uh, this is this does not sound like a very comfortable process as you already mentioned and uh, getting dialysis done like let's say thrice a week or two times a week could be a little expensive for certain patients right um i know that we don't call get patients patients would we call them guests at nephroplast but let's say for for the general population right, like right. in general yes yes so um do you how do you how would you tackle that issue of making it more commercially viable for somebody who needs to have it get it done like thrice a week? So I mean, it is uh, you know like you said it is very difficult uh, in countries like India where most patients stay out of pocket. You know, uh, much of the developed world uh, dialysis is rarely paid for by the patient. It is typically taken care of by governments or by private insurance companies that, you know, they, they have not pay for the dialysis. Now, in India, while there is uh, there is private insurance and governments are getting into dialysis in a big way, uh, very, very few people can actually afford to pay for dialysis out of pocket. So, the typical cost sums to about twenty to 25,000 rupees, depending on various factors, like how many, uh, a month, I mean, 20 to 25,000 rupees a month, depending on where you're staying, like Kerala, Bombay are, are reasonably priced, are at the low price. Where Delhi is, is comparatively high, high price. So, a bit, depending on which area you are, which hospital you're going, there are some different uh, modalities as well. 
roughly average ballpark number comes to between 25,000 rupees a month. Now, how many people in India can afford that much? Right? Or the treatment of one person or the challenge here, of course, is that uh, the it is not a one-time thing. It is lifelong unless the individual gets a kidney transplant. You know, so and kidney transplants are very not very easy to get a kidney transplant. So uh, most people have to undergo this treatment lifelong. So how many families can actually afford? to 25,000 rupees every month lifelong for the treatment of one individual very very mm. difficult mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah so I mean um, in that sense like because this is like a very interesting business case right Right, because I mean the, the issue as such is like super important and critical I would say right right. Um, and then of course having like 20-25,000 rupees a month is not a feasible option for I would say 50% of Indian population yeah probably more <laughs> or more yeah exactly yeah, more, so more. yeah I mean how do you see at this business challenge and, and how are you guys trying to address it yeah no so you're right actually the the we have to you know it, it will eventually go to where a, a situation where everybody's damages is cost is paid for either by private insurance or by government uh, you know, subsidized scheme. So, currently, if you look at Netflix volume, the Netflix data, where you know, sixty percent of our uh, our sessions are paid for by the government, and the patient doesn't pay. So, sixty percent, you know, which is a huge number, and another about fifteen percent or so is paid for by private insurance. So, now the yeah, and how this is evolving is the government is becoming more and more active. So, more and more. State governments are stepping in. There's the, the central government is stepping in. There are various schemes that you know that are currently being introduced by the government, and we work very very actively with the government. We participate in tenders that they release, that they put out from time to time for public private partnership. You know, the PPP mode is going to become huge, right? So eventually, my uh, my the way I see it is within the next decade or so. India will have universal healthcare where everybody's healthcare is paid for by the government, and there'll be a small person uh, who, you know, who want better facilities, their treatment will be paid for by private insurance. But uh, uh, the government is going to be, uh, you know, involved in a huge way. And that's the only way, honestly, dialysis is going to be available. Currently, 85% of those who, do, who need the dialysis are yeah. you know, only 15 to uh, 15% of. Patients who actually need violence are getting dialysis. So that's a very, very uh, stark, that's a stark reality, you know. And, but and are dying because of... Because they I don't mean, have, they don't have access and they can't afford both. So there are more dialysis. They could look at rural India, right? How many uh, districts in rural India have dialysis centers? And how many people can actually afford to travel to cities for dialysis thrice a week, right? So... I um, I mean I want to ask question. Feel free not to answer, but yeah. Nefropris is a private company, right? And of course, you are looking at your numbers as well. And and you said that there's like a stark stark distinction between the responsibilities that you have as a co-founder and then what Vikram is doing by taking care of the business and everything else. Now, um, mm-hmm. you also have to make money. Of course, it's not a non-for-profit organization, right? Um, and I don't know if, if there comes like a situation where, you know, you have to kind of weigh one over the other. Like, does that happen? How do you manage that situation? So I, I think we are very clear that, you know, at Metroplus, that this is a for-profit company, right? And we believe that there's nothing wrong in being a for-profit company in healthcare because 
because of Nephroplus, uh, you know, we we are providing dialysis to below poverty line patients by I think a fantastic model that we have, especially where we work with the government, right? Because now if you look at a government hospital, right? I mean, all, all of us are aware the, of the standards in many government hospitals, right? Now, in government hospitals, when Nephroplus goes and partners with the government to set up dialysis centers, the quality is like, it, it is... It is fantastic, world-class quality dialysis that is being offered at zero cost to the patients, right? So I think this model that we have figured out is 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 a is a really great model. And the bottom line at Nephroplus, and while Vikram does look after the business end of it, I think both of us as founders of this company are extremely clear about one thing: that we would never do anything to compromise the health of our guests or our patients, right? We would never ever do because we believe that one is it is not ethical. And second is, even if you look at it from the business perspective, we believe that if you do what's right for the guests or right for the patient, eventually the numbers will all fall in place. If we have, because you know, but all this, uh, while you know, people can uh, ask the question, you know, it's a fair question to ask that there could be a trade off, there could be a, a, a balance, a thin line to get, but I don't think so because. And I think Vikram and me are on the same page completely on that, that that we believe that if we do what's right for the guests, eventually everything else falls in place. Because the whole market is such that, you know, uh, people are looking for quality options. And the fact that we are giving the same quality, we have the same set of protocols that are followed in, let's say, a, a tier one city, a flagship hospital in Delhi, like a Max or a Fortis, where Nefropolis operates. And uh, a tier three location in a government hospital like Tarek and the Gudam in Andhra Pradesh. Exactly the same protocols are followed for both these types of centers. We don't compromise on the clinical aspects of dialysis care, irrespective of you know where we are doing it. The clinical protocols are trains, of course, you have more trains in the flagship centers and the centers where patients stay out of their pocket. And we have, you know, Let's say a fancy TV, a nice sofa, and those kind of things, high Wi-Fi, uh, high street Wi-Fi, internet, and so on, which you may not have in the Tarek and Nigurum Center in Tier 3 rural Andhra Pradesh. But the clinical protocols are exactly the same. That's super awesome. That's nice to hear. And yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that's also like super important, right? Because uh, you need to create kind of create a balance and and have like negotiables and non-negotiables when you are Absolutely. you're running a business and especially in healthcare sector, right? Yes, and absolutely. So, Kamal, because you've been in this in this area for like a quite for quite some time now, um, how do you see the healthcare sector in general in India and for any budding entrepreneur like who wants to get into healthcare? How, how do you see this particular space? Yeah, so I think uh, healthcare is um, you know a, a fascinating place to be in in India because the scope the the opportunities are so tremendous because it's a highly underserved area, right? There is there is so much scope for somebody to come and make a difference in healthcare. At the same time, it is very, very challenging. So you need to have the passion for healthcare and making a difference, right? Like people can actually die, right? During a dialysis session. It is, despite all your best efforts, despite best in class protocols, these things happen because of the inherent nature of the disease. Kidney disease can be brutal, right? So um, 
pe- people can actually die in a dialysis center. So you need to be extremely passionate about making an impact, about making a difference to lives of people. We get, see, there are so many challenges that we have, right? A lot of, lot of people complain about various things, but very often we get an email from one of our guests or one of our patients saying that they had given up on travel for the last three, four years since they got onto dialysis. But because of Metro Plus's holiday dialysis program, for the first time, they were able to see or attend the marriage of their daughter's relatives or, you know, the first time they were able to go on a holiday, a holiday uh, in a hill station, for example. So these set of things which are impossible before Nephro Plus have now become possible. Even the basic quality of dialysis. There are some many emails that I have bought and people tend to write to me because they connect to me and connect to me on the patient as second because I'm I'm, a, I'm also a dialysis patient. So they write to me and tell me that for the last seven years I was getting dialysis in such and such center. I happened to move to a Nephro Plus center because I relocated my house, right? And I never realized that dialysis can make me feel this good. So for the last so many years, I was just suffering. I was feeling miserable. I gave up my job. But now I'm planning to, you know, start my own business. So those kind of things are, are make it all really worth it. And these are all genuine emails that, you know, that people have, have written or made the effort of writing because it's, it's easy to complain about things. But people typically don't leave good reviews, right, on, on all these platforms. But but we we tend to get these kind of emails a lot from our guests who who actually you know who actually experience in Yeah, I think I think there's a there's a very uh, a stark difference between other like other organizations and Nephroplast because of you, for example, because obviously you bring that kind of value, you know. Because when I was at Nephroplast, I also saw that you know, there's a lot of involvement that we have with the guests. Like we continuously want to keep them interacted. We provide a lot of, um, let's say, nutritional support and, you know, what you should do, what you should not do. And then, of course, people look up at you and they're like, okay, if he can do it, then possibly, you know, I can also do it. I think that kind of also, you know, paves the path. And through that, I want to come to your recent launch of the book that happened. Uh, Many congratulations on that. Um, super looking forward to get my hands as well on on your book it's called Silver Lining and um, I think through the summary what I could understand is that and of Mm -hmm. course like through your journey um, I think you would you would be speaking a lot about adversity and you know how you kind of pave your path through it not through the name do you want to like quickly summarize what what you think about the book and what made you write it like at the first place yeah no thanks uh, for the wishes I think the it was a, it's more like a maximum progression for me because I was already writing a blog and through which I connected to a lot of patients and uh, dialysis patients found my blog very useful because they you know found things that they were going through and solutions for that how I dealt with similar problems and the whole journey around you know dialysis patients setting up India's largest dialysis network Metro Plus I think that itself was very very uh, comforting for people inspiring for a lot of people. And so a lot of people did kind of uh, urge me to write a book about the whole journey. So while this was there at the back of my mind, I think uh, at one point I just started writing I think somewhere during the beginning of the pandemic probably. And, uh, you know, I started writing the book and uh, the whole intention was that people, you know, again, going back to the whole vision of Nephroplus that despite being on dialysis, people can and should lead normal lives. Yeah? That was the whole uh, overarching message of the book, that 
if a dialysis patient can set up India's largest dialysis network, then you know a dialysis patient can do anything practically. It is then nothing can nothing is impossible, right? So the in the book also I talk about the the, the three setbacks I've had. Right, one was the initial diagnosis with, with failure. Second was the transplant not working out, and third was when I had to give up peritoneal dialysis. These are the three major setbacks I've had. At each point, you know, the, the fact that I did not give up because there are people who, a lot of people give up on kidney disease, you know, because they, they're just so frustrated with life and in general, but they don't make the the effort. And that's where, you know, half the battle is lost. It is more the mind rather than the body. You know, that's why I strongly believe that if, if an individual wants to lead a normal life, you know, then there are ways by which they can. But and unfortunately, what happens is a lot of people they just lose that willingness, they, they lose that desire to live, you know. And so, so the first part of the book actually talks about the whole personal journey right up to uh, when I received that email from Nefro, from Victim, right? So, the and the second part of the book is the whole Nephropus journey, right, from when we started to where we are today, then the Vita position and so on. So, the the book is divided into two parts, and you know, I think the it it would be very interesting not only for dialysis patients but also for entrepreneurs because I think there is one thing that sets Nephroplus apart is the the genuineness the genuine willingness to actually help dialysis patients. I think that like I keep saying right that uh, in 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 my uh, visits to centers and I, I I don't like to get into too many nitty gritties but I tell them make the guests smile you know everything else will fall in place. So that's the message I keep giving to our staff when I visit the center. So, so you know the whole philosophy of guest centricity or patient centricity, as you know uh, people call it, patient centric care is what is Nephroplus's USP. And uh, I talk a lot about how we actually built that culture of of patient centricity in Nephroplus. You know how we actually. If you wake somebody uh, or center staff also in the middle of the night and ask them what is the first core value of Nephropolis, they say guest care comes first. You know, so it is that that uh, deeply ingrained in every teammate at Nephropolis that for us, our patients are the most important. Everything else is secondary. And Vikram and I breathe and live and breathe that value, right? Because we would never ever compromise. We would never use uh, a poor quality consumable that is not being tested. Uh, you know, on our guests in the center, we would never ever do that. We would never compromise on the quality of dialysis for the sake of better numbers, better revenues, better details, and so on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, again, as I think this, like, this is like kind kind of your guiding armor. You know that okay, this is how we have to operate. Like everything else should fall around this particular Absolutely. value, and and that's how. It, but Kamal, can you talk about any any so like I don't know situation or circumstances where you were kind of um so how i see it is that resilience is like one of the core values that you are kind of operating on as well and so um can you talk about any situation where you kind of had to fight against um an adversity and resilience came to your to your rescue or for example you talk a lot of about hope and you talk a lot about you know like paving your path through some kind of adversity like can you talk about any instance like a situation where you had where this was very starkly visible to you yeah so you know there was this uh, incident uh, uh, in October 
uh, last year where you know i had a, a hip fracture so uh, long term dialysis patients typically do tend to have uh, bone issues and you know i i also have been having a few bone issues for the last few years but in october in fact on diwali day of 2022 i ended up having a hip fracture and there was like a huge huge deal because it was severely painful and uh, there was nobody at home and then uh, i was you know i had to just pair up in and go and sit uh, on my bed and then when <coughs> my parents came home in a little while and then uh, there was a lot of pain and then you know uh, i eventually was taken in ambulance to the hospital and i had a hip replacement surgery so uh, that whole period of uh, after that hip replacement surgery was very very turbulent and lot of uh, problems so because dialysis patients typically don't tend to uh, do very well or whenever they have a major surgery it, it is it's a lot of turbulence a lot of um, uh, kind of imbalances that get triggered in the body that cause a lot of issues in my dialysis as well my blood pressure would go down my blood sugar would go down so things were kind of um, even after i came back home there was a lot of uh, a lot of problems during the dialysis uh, itself and i get dialysis at home so it was quite a challenge dealing with all that and uh, dealing with it was quite a it was it was, it was extremely frustrating you know so uh, about a month after the surgery uh, i was still having a lot of these side effects but i kind of uh, just asked my doctor if i could start going back to work you know and then my doctor said yes of course you should you should go back to work if you want to there's no problem from my side i don't have any problems so then i i decided to go back to work uh, despite having you know a uh, uh, lot of ups and downs at that point and at that point i realized that that was the the magic pinch that i needed yeah? well once i got back to work my recovery was like optimistic so i just got back to normal like in a few days and i think that really helped need to recover fast like getting your mind away from the uh, medical problem and then focusing on something else that really helped a lot so i think that was one incident in the recent past where you know i i believe that uh, the resilience does get help me at all uh, as well yeah do you do you ever think about this like it's coming to my mind and it comes to you but basically like the kamal who was who was like 26 years back if if he comes and looks at you right now would he pat or your back and be like wow kamal you did a great great job <laughs> wow surely then sure that that would be the case because i think for uh, you know when you see the impact that they're having it it's really it's, it's really very satisfying and uh, you know when while if like that's why i call my book silver lining right because when you look at it while the initial uh, the initial part of it of the journey was uh was negative was you know because i couldn't pursue my dream of going to the us and then having a successful career there when you look at it in hindsight it does seem like uh you know that this whole thing was like the nephroplus is they see the silver lining to the dark clouds of my diagnosis with the failure right because that is the positive thing that came out of my genetic kidney disease because maybe if i wouldn't have been diagnosed you know uh become would have gone into some other field probably diabetes or something else and then you wouldn't have been able to I'm sure he would have done fantastically because he is such a such an amazing guy with such uh, 
about road ethics and such a uh, you know fantastic eye for numbers and such sharp business acumen. <laughs> we would have done been any other field, but I think dialysis may not have been impacted uh, as as well as it is today by Network Plus. If I wouldn't have been diagnosed with kidney failure, so that is the single lining, you know, in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really, really amazing to hear, Kamal. It's it's always nice to speak to you. You know, just just to get to oh, no, so <laughs> get that feeling. But let's say a last piece of advice that you want to give to anybody who wants to get into entrepreneurship. Um, what would it be? I think I would say pick up something that's close to your heart. You mm-hmm. know, and and do you know how to identify? Actually... Like, let's say for your situation, it was like very clear, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you know, like, how to identify? Okay, what's what's something super close to my heart? That's very difficult to say. You know, I think every individual there is there is an aha moment, I guess, that entrepreneurs would have. You know, when they are exploring various things that they something, but they can connect to. You know, very naturally. It's honestly, it's it's anybody would not, uh, you know, come across an idea that is very close to their heart. It, it's not always because. You know, you need to find the intersection between uh, the need, right, your passion, and your ability to offer that that service, right? Like the, the ability for an idea to actually turn into a successful business. It's not fun every day that you come across such ideas. So that intersection is it's quite it's quite, a, it's quite, quite a difficult thing. It's not very easy. It's not everybody who everybody would not possibly you know be able to do that, but. What I would say is that if you're able to find something that you're able to connect to, I think jump for it because um, that that kind of gives you a huge head start, uh, you know, compared to anything else. Hmm. Okay. Do you think people typically tend to stop themselves more than they should? Like, have you experienced this? Because I'm I'm sure you would be connecting to a lot of other entrepreneurs as well. And like, do you typically see that you know this idea came to my mind, but I was not sure, so I did not go ahead. And now it's like a successful concept, and now people oh, are doing yeah, it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So many times, so many times this happens. But you know, honestly, it's it's not the idea that is important, but the execution that is more important. You know, like there could be a bunch of people, like uh, you know, who who have ideas, but it is eventually it all boils down to how you execute the ideas and take it to completion. You know, like you, even if you look at the Plus story. Uh, around the same time as Necroplus started, there were two other companies that started in India, you know, in India itself. So, but today we are way ahead of them and, uh, you know, so in fact, one of them we acquired. So, the the point is, it, at the end of the day, it boils down to how well ideas execute. So, ideas honestly are easy, are cheap, but execution is the tough part, you know. So, you need to be capable uh, enough and you need to have a great team so we were very fortunate, Vikram and I, to get a fantastic team to help us achieve our vision. I had a wonderful conversation, Kamal. I can talk more. I I, I have many more questions that I want to ask, but I know that it's already like um, uh, we've, we've spoken at good length and I'm, I'm sure your book would kind of um, complement our conversation. So anybody who's interested to you know more, know more about Kamal or his journey or Nefra Plus's journey, feel free to get the book, uh, get your hands on the book and Thank you so much for your time, Kamal. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. Thanks so much, Pinka. Thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed this question as well. Thank you.